This is the Chain Reaction Project. The Chain Reaction Project is a series of stories written in response to each other. A story is passed to the next writer in the chain, and they respond to it with another story, as loosely or as closely as they wish. Their story is then passed on to the next writer, and so on. This tenth story is written by Lucy Sheen and is performed by Rebecca Yao. Summer clings on still to the scent of burnt ends. Nature's timeless jumble cycles through the rustic tones of autumn to spring. Here I am again. On the left, I can see down the corridor of my past. To the right, a road to the future and soft focus, an unfinished canvas. There was a time when that road was crystal clear. Age and life's cataracts now obscure my view. The years have little by little sold my shadow. I am sick of taking a shortcut to disappointment. Sometimes it all seems too much. Breaking bad news, isn't that what they call it? You never think that tragedy is going to strike you. Grief shrouds other people, not you. Butterfly thoughts flutter from one unrelated memory to another. Anything that keeps you alive. Even your absence spreads a whisper of a smile across my parched lips. I can hear you on the phone. Your mother is grilling you. What have you been up to? Why haven't you called her? Suddenly, your voice drops in tone and volume. It's too late. I know what you're talking about. I can hear your mother's muffled exclamations. My son is going out with a coolie. You're furious. Mum, you can't say things like that. I retreat, half amused, half stunned. That was thirty years ago. I shake my head. My hair falls loose. I raise my eyes to be greeted by a small person smiling at me. Hello. My name's Pixie. I try to smile, but it's like asking someone who'd lost their voice to speak. I like your hair. Why are you so sad? Before I have time to answer Pixie's question, she's hurriedly shushed and corralled away. The mother gives me the briefest acknowledgement. Glances have been bouncing off me since I got here, people looking right through me into their own middle distance. But today, that's fine. Today being invisible is okay with me. Someone drops a tray. I'm back in the room watching the chaos of spilled food and drink. No one ever thinks this will happen to them. When it does. When it does. Life goes from... It's not a given. To what if. Then skips a gear and shifts to... You need to prepare just in case the unthinkable happens. The unthinkable happened when I answered the call 27 hours ago. Hello, this is St Ignatius Hospital. Do you know a Mr Andrew Phillips? Yes, that's my husband. I'm Mrs Phillips. We have your husband in recovery. Oh God, is he okay? What happened? Mrs Phillips, it's best if you make your way to the A&E. Just tell reception you hear about your husband. Okay, I'll be there as soon as I can. Thank you. Forty-five minutes later, I'm at A&E talking to a receptionist. 
As soon as I mention my husband's name, the atmosphere changes. The receptionist drops her embattled front line, you shall not pass, gets up and gently ushers me towards the recovery room. There he is, lying on a hospital gurney, oxygen mask on, eyes closed. Other than that, he looks fine. Bit sweaty, but fine. What the hell happened flies from my mouth before I can rein it in. He grins. Nice to see you too. I exhale 45 minutes worth of pent-up panic. He loses his breath and the nurse won't let him take the mask off. I mush to a seat and the first of many white coats walks towards me. Mrs Phillips? I nod. We shake hands. He's assured. Calm. I am... My husband is. We are in safe hands. Your husband collapsed and we're not sure why, so just to be on the safe side, a nurse interrupts. Mrs Green, you need to look at this. Mrs Green hurries away to attend my husband. He's crashing. The roller coaster begins. They whisk my husband out one door and me through another. I am given a cup of tea, even though I have not asked for one. A nurse comes in and explains that Mr Green or one of the recess team will come in and talk to me as soon as they can, that I am not to worry. It might take a while, as the A&E is unusually busy. Two hours later, they break the news. He's bleeding internally. They don't know why. They want to stem the blood flow first that I should be assured they're doing everything they can. Might be an idea for me to stick around. I'm given a room in a nearby tower block with a view over the river and the city. It's a spectacular sight, but tonight, I might as well have been in a shipping container. So here I am, out in the sunshine, a brief respite from the medical cacophony of beeping, bleeding mechanisms and the endless plastic rusty of nurses, rubber gloves and an army of nurses. He's under the knife right now. I've no ideas. I don't know what to do. What to say to our daughter, to relatives, to close friends. I focus on the cold sunshine and suddenly... I'm in Barbados, our last family holiday. It's raining silver-warm threads. I laugh generously, watching Dad and Daughter being buffeted by the waves. Someone touches me on the shoulder. It's one of the nurses. The surgeon wants to see me. I focus on the frozen sunshine that offers no warmth at all. I want to be anywhere but here. I want to be back at that crossroads, looking like Yanis, both back and forth. The nurse has a gentle voice. There's no rush whenever's comfortable for you. She walks away. I feel rude and ungrateful, but I can't. I just cannot face any more. The sunshine dips, the clouds roll in, smothering the light. I stand up and walk back towards the dark, the hiatus of impending death, back to uncertainty. The surgeon is there waiting for me. I'm ushered into yet another side room. He is serious. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Your husband is very ill. 
We managed to stem the bleeding, but we've had to put him into a coma. This will give your husband the best chance to heal. The next 24 to 48 hours will be critical, but he's a fighter. If you have any questions, of course I have questions, but not all of them are for you. So I just nod my head again. I ask, can I see him? The surgeon is almost relieved and ushers me into the dark of the ICU. And there he is. Only, he's not here. He's somewhere in between and I can't reach him. Maybe he's thinking about that Barbadian holiday. I sit down, hold his hand. Reflexes and old habits. I expect him to squeeze my hand. But nothing happens. The person I married is trapped, surrounded by machinery that's keeping him alive. This, all of this, is unreal. This is not how it's supposed to be. This, me sitting here in a plastic apron, holding my husband's lifeless hand, this is not how it's supposed to be. I leave the ICU and walk back out into the hard sunshine. I need some space. I sit down. The synesthesia of grief ebbs and flows from my body, reaching out and connecting to other people's grief as it trails behind them. I know I have to go back to him. Talk to him. They said, even though he can't respond, he can hear you. What if he can't hear me? What if he... Another relative or friend of a patient walks past, wafting the aroma of fried onions in my direction. Again, my brain tricks me into remembrances of summer, wine and the scent of burnt ends. <laughs>